1: Omis, episode 142. Hey, my riches! hope you are all well and happy towards the holidays. It is the beginning of a new year. However, I actually think that as entrepreneurs, we should look at each month as a beginning of a new year in terms of the opportunities our obligations, the goals we should walk by, and I think that some of the things on this episode was rethinking, and it really fits this new year approach. My guest today shared some true thought-provoking sentences each entrepreneur should adopt, like talking about his biggest failure. And how our job is to make sure we work with clients that we will be proud of. Or how in entrepreneurship, like climbing a mountain, you can't really get your whole satisfaction from getting to the top of the mountain. The satisfaction needs to be the whole journey. Or what he feels his biggest success is. So tune in and if you can, Please leave me a comment. I'd love to know what you think about that. Happy holidays, everyone. Thank you for another fantastic year together. Futurist Jeremy Goldman has been working with companies looking to take their operation online and inject social into their processes for over a decade. Under Jeremy's leadership, Companies like Kale, Temptu, or the luxury division he helped Unilever to found have had tremendous success and won the highest awards and publications mentions. Jeremy earned his MBA in Information Systems and Marketing at the University of Maryland's Robert H. Smith School of Business. His views have been featured in publications such as Mashable, Wall Street Journal, Smart Money, and many, many more. Jeremy's book is Going Social, Excite Customers, Generate Buzz, and Energize Your Brand with the Power of Social Media. The book was released by Amacom Books in November 2012, hitting the number one spot of Kindle for social media and business. In his spare time, Jeremy blogs and curates news daily to his Twitter followers. 55000 Jeremy Goldman, what a pleasure to have you here. Hi.
0: It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm glad uh, we're uh, talking today. Or tonight, I should say.
1: For you, it's very, very early, isn't it?
0: For me, it's very early. And for you, it's uh, late afternoon, I guess, right?
1: Two and a half here, uh, or three. So I'm very happy you are here. And I just shared with our listeners what you've done until now. And I would like you to share with us what are you doing and what's passionate about today and where are you heading?
0: Yeah, no, so that's a very good question. I had an interesting year because I actually I had a firebrand group, which I started about seven years prior. I, I sold the company. Oh, Uh, And I did that, which I think is, uh, you know, maybe an interesting uh, position to be in. Uh, And then I started figuring out kind of what I want to do next, what would be like another uh, next great challenge. So I took a little bit of time uh, this year to figure that out. And my wife was uh, pregnant with our third. Wow. And I figured... Congratulations. uh, Thank you very much. Yeah. So he's... uh, I know we were talking before we started recording. He's about four months old now. And uh, I took a little bit of time to kind of take care of the older two kids and also help with the baby at the mid part of the year. And I felt very fortunate that I was able to do that.
1: It and also fortunate. gave
0: me the space to figure out what type of projects I wanted to take on next. Did
1: you decide? Yeah, you know,
0: a little bit. I think that uh, one of the things that... I realized is that entrepreneurship is often, you know, it, it's it's very much uh, it's respected a lot by some, you know, I'm, and I, I know you know this from all of the startups that you've been involved uh, with, definitely, uh, and advised, and uh, you know, but but not everybody entirely gets it or appreciates it. I realized that for me, I think the next thing that I want to do is to be a little bit more of an entrepreneur, uh, which is to say. To find a company that has an incubator uh, or some type of venture fund where they are trying to uh, launch new ideas and move a little bit faster and they need somebody uh, with an entrepreneurial background to be able to bring that to an established company that doesn't often have that type of uh, expertise in-house. So it's not to say to not be an entrepreneur, it's to do it within an existing environment and to help uh, some other companies move faster.
1: It's a wonderful idea. I think it's great. I've done it at the beginning. I think when you have quite a lot of things that you've seen and you have experienced and you can share it with more than one company and perhaps not only to do it for yourself, I think it's a privilege.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, something that definitely is a privilege. It's also something that was was kind of born out of some previous successes that I had where I went to uh, Unilever uh, right before I started Firebrand Group, and I actually helped them co-found. I was the first employee of a technology-based beauty startup within Unilever, that was trying to sell a device for $600 when uh, they're, of course, known for $5 soaps, generally. So it was a very disruptive idea. They had to have a a different skill set to build the thing, to figure out how to market it. Uh, And I worked with them, and they wound up uh, not just uh, uh, that this idea was successful enough that they sold it to another company. Uh, and, you know, had it be a pretty profitable exit for them. But also it was the inspiration for them to launch an entirely new prestige division. Wow. So I was able to, yeah, in a short time frame, do something that was pretty impactful to them, which kind of made me think, well, if I can do it for them, uh, maybe there are other companies that have that desire to move quickly, uh, but they just don't naturally have that skill set or that ability because let's face it. When you're a $60 billion Mm. uh, consumer products company, generally you have a little bit more of a conservative uh, mindset than the typical entrepreneur does.
1: Definitely. I worked with Unilever. They do have the mind of consumer goods that sells to uh, billions of people. So, yeah, I think it's a huge uh, challenge. And how long have you been there with this company?
0: That was uh, prior to when I started Firebrand, and I guess I was there maybe about a year and a half uh, internally, you know, as an internal hire. And then I started Firebrand uh, right afterwards, and I guess I I was with Firebrand for about uh, six and a half, maybe seven years. I should probably do the math on that. And, you know, th- th- for, for an entrepreneur, you know, I, what I noticed is that entrepreneurs are often people who... Want different challenges on different days, or they want to grow something (laughs) and, uh, you know, have it grow and then move on to do something else. And I think it's very difficult for an entrepreneur to stay with the same thing forever without new challenges. So, towards the end of my time there, that's what I kind of felt. So, during the last year or so of the startup, you know, Firebrand, I think I realized I was doing the same challenges every day. And it wasn't as challenging anymore. And I realized that's probably a good time for me to exit and to pass the company to somebody who could, uh, you know, really, really tackle those challenges head on. Uh, and, and, and you know, just have that passion. You need to always have that passion in a startup.
1: You must have the passion. Yeah. And, uh, Jimmy, tell us a bit about uh, Firebrand. Firebrand. What made you uh, start it in the first place and what was it? You can start with answer which of your professional projects you see as your biggest success. Maybe it's Firebrand, maybe it's something else. But then tell us a bit about Firebrand.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that the idea of Firebrand really came out of the fact that I actually had a book that was coming out right around when uh Firebrand launched uh it was called Going Social and it was about uh, basically uh, teaching businesses how to prioritize social media and digital marketing how to actually focus on the things that work instead of just the things that mm. uh are going to you know generate some buzz right because a lot of companies wow. they focus on the wrong things they don't think about the the metrics that will keep the lights on So I had written that book, and then uh, I realized that there were a lot of companies that needed that kind of assistance to do the right prioritization, to really Mm -hmm. think about the right things as a business rather than the wrong things. And I kind of took a consulting slash agency mindset, which is that there were some companies that would need us to go in and basically consult and advise, and then there were some companies Mm -hmm. that would need us to execute, and there were often companies that needed something a little bit in between, you know, help them do it sure. and then also teach them at the same time, teach them how to fish, as they say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and then afterwards, uh, you know, we we can make them move on and be successful afterwards. So I think probably one of the things that I was most happy about with that situation is that there were a lot of times where companies... Didn't really think that a certain thing was possible, and we were able to go in and convince them otherwise, and be able to convince them actually, this is the right approach, and here's why. So really, it's the teaching aspect of it. Uh, I think was probably one of the most uh, impactful aspects of Firebrand is to be able to say, listen, we took people. I'm a big believer. You know, te- teachers do amazing things. And if I can essentially be a corporate teacher and make these people be a little bit smarter, um, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not the smartest person in the world by far, but if I can help these people <laughs> make better decisions, they will go on to yeah. be better marketers in the future. And, and I take a lot of pride in that.
1: Definitely. And, um, you know, all what this podcast and my projects are about in the last 12 years is about helping entrepreneurs seeing the business side of their startup and seeing the business side means exactly what you said seeing everything from the point of view of your customers because there are that have the money that you are looking for in their pockets so all what you're talking about helping them to see that and to find out what really works and what doesn't is so important because you know i think i can't even count the times that entrepreneurs said can you take me to TechCrunch? Can you bring me there and hey, your clients aren't there most of the time. I understand exactly and I love what you did.
0: I totally there's actually uh you know, this this talk that when when I often when I go out and do public speaking, I say something along these lines, which is that sometimes your boss takes a trade publication and they throw it down in front of you and they say, Look, our competitor got a story here about uh launching on TikTok, mm-hmm. let's say, we need to have a TikTok strategy, and I need it tomorrow. Um, and often what you find is that you're doing certain things, but for mm-hmm. the wrong reasons. And it's not to say that to do to, to get in TechCrunch, it's possible that it might be actually the most important thing for your company right now, but it's also possible that it's uh, a sideshow, and it's a distraction from what you really ought to be doing. So it's really important to think about what are the things that you ought to focus on and to, be fa- to have a fanatical focus on the appropriate things uh, just simply because if you don't, uh, you have to have that focus on, you know, whether or not it's research and development or PR or, you know, customer acquisition and retention, which often really should be mm. the top priority uh, that everything else kind of funnels into.
1: Jeremy, I want to know, What do you see as your biggest success among all the projects or companies that you dealt with in your professional years? You know, uh,
0: there are quite a few that I think could, uh, that it's very difficult for me, I would say, to point at just one. I mean, uh, uh, for instance, uh, I had this company Mobileye Mm, that we were talking about before, where I developed developed some of the branding for uh, them you know, including the logo and colors and so on. And then they sold for $15 billion. So great that I was able to be part of that, you know, but also I would be obnoxious and ridiculous for thinking that their success was responsible for just the logo, I mean, for like, a and branding for a B2B company uh, where with very few buyers, where not everybody was thinking about the logo and re-exploring it every year, right? I could say, that Becca Cosmetics, which is a huge uh, beauty company uh, in the U.S., and wanted to show that they, uh, you know, were very good at acquiring their own customer. I helped them develop a strategy uh, with my team that helped them grow their database almost 500% wow. in a year, 400% over the course of a campaign. And this was, you know, like done in partnership with an influencer that they had sourced and. We just developed the strategy for it and the end result was that they sold the company and these, you know, data points that we were able to do for them wound up, you know, being talking points for them as part of their acquisition.
1: It's beautiful because actually you're talking about the journey that you've done and the successes within different phases in this journey, right?
0: Yeah, definitely. But I think that with all these successes. The thing that, and not to say that I'm like the, I I wish I was more humble sometimes, but I definitely (laughs) think that with all these things, you have to acknowledge, I think, as an entrepreneur, you're not the person who was 100% responsible for any of those. So I guess I take some pride in being part of all these things, but it's always important for me to acknowledge that it's not only me that made these things happen, that I was a portion of making these things happen and not the only driving force behind it. And I think as long as you do that, then it keeps you humble and it also helps you acknowledge that you have further mountains to climb, metaphorically.
1: I must tell you that I don't believe that any business, even if it's a personal brand, is all about one person. I think that there are so many parts that contribute to success and looking at things like your own success or something that you did by yourself would be wrong. Ignoring the credits that so many people around us so true. need to get for succeeding is a part of failing the next time because if you don't see how so many people around you are part of this success, you won't succeed next time. In saying that, I would like to ask you, what would be, uh, and you're really taking this hat of being an entrepreneur to different places, what would be your best advice to any entrepreneur that is listening to us regarding customer focus or doing things with or for your customers?
0: Uh, You know, I think probably the best uh, advice I could give is not to look past the customer that you have right now. I'm curious about what your perspective is, but I think that most companies like to place greater emphasis on customer acquisition versus customer retention. And I think it's very, very important to really think that taking care of the customers that you have and wowing them and delighting them is the most important thing that you should do uh, and not to look past the customers that you have right now. One other point that goes along with that is that you don't actually, especially in a B2B business as I had, you don't actually have to transact with every customer. You can be selective and you can try to figure out, is this a customer that's going to be right for me? Because I have, frankly, in the name of growing Mm -hmm. my team, I've picked up a few customers where after the fact I realized this is a project uh, that is going to, it's not going to be a perfect fit. Uh, But you're chasing revenue. So you have to, on one hand, be selective and make sure that you're working with the the right people. And then after you do that, uh, and once you're working with the right people, you've got to make them ecstatic.
1: Definitely. Definitely. I do agree with you about measuring new customers versus really taking good care of your existing customers first. I know you've got successes. We've started to talk with them, and we will dive in it in a minute. But I would like you to share with us the story of your biggest, most critical failure with customers, the one that affected your entrepreneurial journey the most or almost the most. Can you tell us this story? You know,
0: one thing that I think is actually important that goes along with the last point I brought up is you have to investigate the customer, especially for B2B. Make sure that you're working with ethical people, because just like they have to investigate you and make sure you're going to treat them fairly. Uh, I have had one or two, and I'm thinking really about one specifically who was completely unethical and tried to pride themselves on getting things out of you without paying, and uh, hmm. they, they, you know they, it got to be a point where we were basically in the hole with them. They owed us a bunch of money, and I had to stay with them because if I just walked away, then I would lose all that money. So I had to basically stick with a company uh, that was giving me a lot of stress. And I knew that if I didn't actually stick with this company and enrich them and do a good job for them, then I wouldn't be able to get all of the money. And and it wasn't for me. The money It was basically how I keep jobs, how I don't have somebody get laid off, sure. uh, because I did a bad job in selecting this client in the first place. Uh, so, mm. so really, it, in in my desire to chase revenue and to grow, I picked up somebody who I should have never really worked with, uh, and then I had to work with them. And you know, I, it, it's all I I didn't have a literal ulcer because of it, but I felt that way. I felt I I really didn't like being the person who kind of had to be the, the chasing the money, you know, person. Uh, but I did, and I would say that that was a failure uh, of, mm. yeah, sure, it worked out okay in the end, uh, but uh, just the very fact that it, my job should have been to vet these people and to make sure that we're working with people that we can be proud of.
1: Mm. Love that example.
0: And, you know, frankly, I, did, I, I did, didn't want to show that case sure. study to anybody afterwards. So what was the point in keeping them happy Hmm. when it wasn't going to be work that we could point to ever?
1: Love this example. Excellent example, I think. And at the end, you managed to succeed with them. I mean, you got the money, but you're saying it's not about that for me. And now I would like you to share with us or to tell us the story of your greatest, most significant success as a result of the right customer focus or something that you did right about approaching your customers. It can be either the biggest or the second biggest, but just uh, you know what I mean.
0: Definitely, and I think that uh, for me, what I would probably have to say was the fact that I was able to build out something that was of value enough to sell. Uh, I think that Hmm. that really had to do with how we took care of the customers, the fact that we had a customer roster uh, that the acquiring parties really wanted to acquire. I think that that was very helpful. Uh, So I'm happy that I was able to get the company to that point. Uh, And a lot of that was, you know, really based off of how we acquired the customers, how we took care of them, and the methodologies that people were able to acquire along with the customer list. None of that would have been possible had we not had the right, right foundation. So I would say that was the culmination of everything.
1: I think it's a great example, and I think you are right, I mean, being able to really sell an active service business, it's not easy. It's not easy. And, you know, there isn't one patent issue or something that nobody else has. So I think it is really a peak. It is really a great achievement for somebody that helps others. And um, congratulations. That's also what actually gave you the freedom to decide what you want to do next, isn't it?
0: Well, one of the things that it's interesting when I was moving in that direction, the second half of Firebrand, what I really did was uh, not just work with the clients, but I think also develop these future proofing reports, as I call them, that investigated the future of all these different topics. So the methodology for how we put together those reports was certainly one thing that uh, the acquiring party really cared about and wow. wanted me to uh, you know, to hand over to show here's how we put those things together uh, because those were great inbound marketing vehicles for us. Uh, and I think that that was, in some ways, it also informed what I want to do next, which is to really focus more on that future trend orientation because I am interested in how we can predict the short-term future uh, a little bit better than we have previously, how we can do a good job at that, because we we are traditionally very bad at predicting the future us human beings, as I think we can all acknowledge.
1: Yeah, and I must ask you, I mean, what is the core idea of your success to predict the future better than others?
0: That's a good question. I think that one of the core aspects of it is for instance to acknowledge we're not good at it you know so to say whatever hmm. i say is not going to be perfect it's going to be far, far from perfect and and it's kind of like that humility and that also there's like a few other core tenets so we don't have to go through all of them because i know we have limited time but uh one of one of the key things is to not be uh you know dogmatic about anything hmm. I can say, for instance, I really love the technology of augmented reality. Um, but I need to actually follow the data as to how big augmented reality will be over the next few years. I can't argue on behalf of it being big unless the data uh, you know basically proves that out. I can't be selective about data because I'm trying to argue a particular point, you know, uh, and I think that that's often what people do in a business is they They start to argue on behalf of something without actually, you know, asking, should they really be, uh, you know, lobbying on behalf of a particular point? If the point is to get to the truth, you really have to follow wherever the data may lead you.
1: Hmm. I agree with you so much. First of all, what I'm saying all the time, I think I'm saying it a few times a day, that a good marketer knows that we know nothing We know to check, and if we are studying the customer and the consumer good enough and finding who are those that are fighting to solve the problems that we are bringing them at the moment, we are succeeding better. But we know nothing until we really understand and study the new case. Jeremy, can you recommend the best or most effective technological or digital tool, if we talked about technological tools, that related to customer focus, marketing or sales. However, I'm not looking for the last shyness tool in the endless list. I'm looking for something that really works for you, that helps you to succeed.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I, I really like the way that you phrase that because I think that you can do, you can focus on certain things such as uh, email marketing. And I think that email marketing for me is one that I would really kind of highlight. There are a number of different tools, specific you know, tool sets that people can use that I think are pretty fantastic, but ultimately email marketing, what's great about it, and this is a perfect example of where I say if you want to uh, predict the future and see what really works, you have to go against your own biases. So my bias is mm-hmm. always to look to see, What is the new, really cool thing that I can go try? But at the end of the day, owning your own list and being able to communicate directly without going through a platform like a social media form, it's really one of the most effective ways of getting in front of your customers. So email marketing for me is really a thing that, uh, you know, you can do so many different interesting things with parsing your list, uh, personalization. And just from a return on investment perspective, it's a it's a great thing to to build, a, you know, a foundation on uh, when you're talking about how, what's the best way to market uh, any enterprise effectively.
1: Hmm. And um, I love the email marketing. You are not the only one that gave that. And this is the beauty about that because it has been here for so many years. Email, of course, and we are still using that. You know, there are many factors that affect one's success, but I believe that for each of us, there is one factor that's really unique to us and helps us to succeed. And I want to ask you, what is your one key success factor?
0: Ah, uh,
1: <laughs> you
0: know, I, I really think that key success factor is probably a matter of knowing the fact that you don't have just one key success factor. <laughs> I'm not trying to duck the question, but to say is to be able to not overrate any one thing, you know? So it's actually an answer because <laughs> because there are people who say, I am, you know, I've got the best sense of humor or I make the best decision on which customers to go with. But to acknowledge your fallibility you know, to still have belief in yourself, but to also acknowledge that uh, you can do better. Mm -hmm. I guess you can say, like, having a little bit of sense of humility and to know that you're working with people who might be smarter than you uh, when you're building a team, uh, to know that the customer might have some really good points, uh, to know that there's something you can do better tomorrow than you did uh, today. If you have that sense of humility and, uh, uh, you know, uh, fallibility, uh, then you can hopefully keep on doing better. Mm,
1: love it. Both of it. The idea that maybe the reason to one thing that you are really uh, the king of, but also finding these things that allows you to give space to everything else and other people as well. My last question before I ask you what is the best way to connect with you is my mountain question. And as my listeners already know, I've been imagining this journey of building the awareness and trust and the brand in the mind of the consumer or customer as climbing a mountain, step after step, and then climbing another peak. And at some stage, I started to ask my guests, and that's what I'm asking you, whether you ever climbed a mountain or wished to climb a mountain or plan on climbing mountains, or do you have any relationships? with the mountains at all, and you can take it to the metaphorical mountains as well.
0: Yeah, and I think it's such a great question because what's funny, as I was thinking about this question, uh, you know, my my brain goes back to yesterday when I was walking through a very hilly part of Atlanta Mm. uh, while having a call with my old creative director who is now the CEO of the company that I exited, and they've since rebranded as Proponent, I'm having a call with him and he's hearing me huff and puff, you know, as I'm going up there. And I realized like I'm I'm so bad with the hills, you know, uh, but even like with the little hill, I realized that there is an analogy there, which is that it's something where you can have a lot of uh, discomfort as you do it. And even I realized oh, I'm getting like my back is getting sweaty, not to be gross, uh, but um, I, I realized that it's that discomfort and pushing through it. Uh, that really makes the journey uh, all worthwhile. So, in short, I haven't gone up a mountain. I would be a big ball of sweat if I ever did it, (laughs) you know? um, Even a hill makes me, you know, breathe like, um, you know, 20, 30 years older than I am. But I think that, uh, but building a startup is really that same process of fighting through the discomfort uh, as you're doing something where you're uncertain and you might lose your footing sometimes. Uh, and it, it's not really, I guess you can't really get all of your satisfaction from getting to the top of the mountain. The satisfaction needs to be the whole journey, you know, the Definitely. whole process as you, you go up there.
1: Definitely. Jeremy, I'm enjoying this conversation so much. And before we'll say goodbye, what is it the best way that any of our listeners can reach you or connect with you if they would like to be in touch
0: Yeah, yeah. There's more information about my work and everything that I do at jeremygoldman.com. And also, I'm uh, pretty active on Twitter and LinkedIn, pretty easy to find on LinkedIn. And uh, on Twitter, I'm very active at JeraMarketer.
1: So, uh, we'll put all these links in the show notes of this interview and we're on this show. And we will also put links to your books there that people can find what they are looking for if they are interested to learn more about you or about what you believe in. And, Jeremy, I would like to thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. Thank you. It has been a pleasure.
0: Oh, the pleasure was uh, mine. I really uh, enjoyed this conversation. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you so much. There's so much to learn from you. I wish you a lot of success in your future journey and in raising three kids. Enjoy. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Shalom. Bye. And for you, our listeners, until the next time, it all goes down to this. You either reach or miss. Keep reaching your goals and vision. Bye.